it's good to be home. We, uh, my wife and I, took a week off just to hang out with ourselves, and uh, we went on a cruise and hanging out with people we didn't know, strangers. And I'll tell you this one story. We're sitting at, Keith recommended that we do like the chef's table. It's like this special dinner and the chef makes it and you're sitting in this room with like 12 people, 12, 20 people. And uh, we're like three quarters away through the dinner and we're sitting there talking to this one couple and she asked what I do. It's like, dang it. It was almost through the dinner. And I said, I'm a pastor. And immediately the whole conversation changed. Like, well, we're Jews, she said. But we, we're kind of Roman Catholic, too, so it's like. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, I, I, sat there, I, was, I was like, what, how do you even get there? <laughs> but I, I didn't say anything, and uh, she goes, I have a question for you. I'm like, oh, gosh, here it comes. She's like, are you one of those born-againers? And I'm like, that's like, yep, I'm one of them born-againers. She goes, I hear born-againers don't drink. Now, we're at the chef's, chef's dinner table, and he's got like, they've got like five wine glasses, and they're pairing wines with each food item that they bring out, you know, and mine's like half gone or more, and I'm like, mm, I'm a born-againer, and it looks like, you know, they... Yeah, it just it probably depends on the pastor, the person, the church, whatever. You, you can't determine. I grew up, you know, like Baptists don't drink, they don't dance, they don't play cards, you know, all that stuff. And But, gosh, it really has a lot to do with opinions. And you know what they say about opinions. Everyone has one. I'll stop there. But you think about it for a minute, uh, opinions can be based upon uh, what you know, based upon what you want, what you like, what your preferences are, what you've heard, and the big one is what feels right to you. That's opinions. Now, you... We're on a boat with like 5,000 people, and everybody has different opinions. Who, who, who even in this room determines what is the right opinion? Like, I, Matt was standing here, and I differ with Matt on many things, on many things. But, man, I, he's my brother, and I love him, and there's not a person in here that totally agrees with me on everything. Because we all have our opinions. And, and things are changing so, so rapidly in this world. I don't even know if I'm using the right terminology. Like, I'll say things and people go, you can't say that anymore. That's not, you know, it just, uh, you know, the, the terms are changing for race, for the color of skin, for the size of people. For disabilities, for gender, for sexuality. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. And it's like 
somebody is changing the terminology and the definitions. Who is it that's right and dictates what is wrong now? Where does that come from? Why, why am I was right for 40 years and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm wrong? Uh, it's opinions, right? Like, who determines what's the best movie tonight? Really? You, you've seen the selections, right? Yeah. What makes them right? Just because they make the movies? We're the ones that pay for them and watch them. Whose opinion is it that changes everybody else's opinion? Who, Who is it that determines that what I say is either truth or hate? Like, you don't know me. You don't know my heart. Yet you're going to take the words that I say and mix it with your opinion and say that I'm delivering a hate message. Really? Being on that boat, you realize it's all worldly opinions. I'm sure there are 20 different preferences of toilet paper in this room. It's like, it's like, really, you, you all have different opinions and what's right? You know, and it wasn't any different. It wasn't any different for Jesus or Paul back in the day. Like, and it was literally talking to Jeannie before the service and they were watching The Chosen uh, Thursday night in their small group. And she was talking about you know, the disciples and uh, how Jesus like sent them out two by two. And Jeannie's granddaughter asked her, are they going to die? And she goes, oh, not, not right now. They're not going to die. But they are going to die for what they believe, every one of them, for what their opinion is for what they believe the truth is, for what they are, they're passionate about it, they're ready to give up their life for it. I have, and I, it causes me to think, do, do I alter my message? Do I alter what I believe? Do I alter what I read to fit in with the world? Lord, help me if I do. Because what I read in this doesn't really have anything to do with the world. It has everything to do with God. That's my opinion. That's all that matters to me. I'm not really concerned about what the world thinks about me. Yeah, I'm I'll try to fit in. I'll try to, I, I, I'll have conversation with this couple just so I can have a faith-driven talk with them. To be able to talk, yeah, I'm a born-again believer. Yeah, I believe Jesus came. He's my Savior. Whatever it takes. Well, you go back to where we are in 1 Timothy. It's 63 AD. This is like 
30 years after Jesus has died on the cross. And these men, these men and women and women are spreading the gospel that Matt was talking about today. The good news about today, what they talked about in the banquet last weekend, the good news. So you you have to look at the time frame and the context of what's going on here. 63 AD, Timothy has sent word to Paul who's in Colossae. Timothy's in, in Ephesus and things are just a muck. It's like being on a boat with 5,000 people and doing whatever they want to do. And he's sending word to Paul and Paul's like saying, all right, I'm going to write you guys and if I have to tell you what behavior looks like, if I have to tell you what conduct looks like, okay, I'll put it out there. But knowing all along that Paul is writing to the church and the church being those who believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He came here and he died for all my sins, past, present, and future, and he was buried, he rose again. I say this every week. Buried, rose again, sits next to the Father. Now they've sent this spirit to live inside of me. I have the spirit of God living inside of me. Yes. And he's speaking to me right now while I'm speaking to you. And he, he directs me. I don't need a list of rules. I don't need this whole first part of this Bible that's all about law and everything else. He, they didn't give that to me anyway. They gave that to the Jews. They gave it to the people sitting at the table, uh, I think. But he didn't give me the law. He gave me this spirit that tells me how to behave, tells me about my opinion, whether it's right or wrong, whether what I like or don't like is flesh or spirit tells he tells me all that and literally paul is reminding timothy literally if the believers understand that they have a spirit inside of them this is naturally how they're going to behave he's 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 trying to encourage timothy don't give up don't give up this is what it's going to look like if they know how to follow the spirit first of all they have to know the spirit they have to learn about the spirit emily how many years did I come to the barber shop getting this flat top and never said a word to you or Kurt? 18 years she's been there. How long have you been doing this, Kurt? 30 years. I, I've probably been there since the uh, late 90s getting this flat top. The first 10 years, I probably didn't say much to either one of them. I just came in, got my hair cut, got out. Now look who's sitting here. His family, her family. And, and this, is, this is what the relationships look like. Paul's like literally encouraging Timothy, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. I get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says this. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, He desires a noble work. Uh, Aspire basically means they they set their hearts to it. If you look at at Psalm 37.4, it says this. It says, Take delight in the Lord, 
and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, people automatically look at that verse and they go, he will give you your heart's desires. Well, my heart's desires are, again, my opinion. But don't forget the very first part of that verse. It says, take delight in the Lord. If my focus is on the Lord, the Lord's desires are my desires. Like we walk this walk together and we have this thing in common together and it's not necessarily, oh, I want to do a cruise every other week or I want, those are my desires, you know. It's like, well, what's the Lord's desire? Be sitting right here, teaching the word. All right. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he says this, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, an elder, that basically translates in the Greek to be an old man. That's what the overseer, the elder is. It's an old man. Now, if I were to identify uh, the overseers and the elders in here, you know, that would probably be, uh, come on, Phil, I see you smiling back there. (laughs) Probably uh, the overseer, the elder, they they served in like this single house church with the group. They would help oversee the group. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this ministry right here is we have uh, elders and overseers in the group. There's five that are uh, designated. And the reason that is is because the IRS says that we have to do that. Like we have to have some kind of governing body of this 501c3 nonprofit ministry. So you got myself, you got Big John, Ed Hens, Phil Tooley, Matt Tully. Those are it. We're all we're all five here. That's impressive on one Sunday. Those are designated. But if I look around the room, I'm like going, I got more elders and overseers in this room. Because to me, it's not an elected position. It's, it's how this group views each other. It really is. It's how, because you don't just go to the five of us for wisdom and questions and things like that. We don't deal, the five of us don't deal with every issue that goes on in this community. We have other people, men and women, that we seek wisdom from. So it's not a position that you're trying to qualify yourself for. It's just one that becomes natural because of the character and your situation. And Paul does not take this lightly. He gives 15 qualifications for the role of the pastor, elder, overseer. He says, an overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? 
He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among the outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. All right, now let, let me break that down for you real quick. He, he, he says, therefore be above reproach. In some of your translations, it says be blameless. <laughs> this word literally means nothing to take hold upon. I mean, no man living is sinless, but I'm blameless. <laughs> I, I still sin, but I'm blameless. Why am I blameless? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross one time, one time for all my sin. I wasn't even around. 2,000 years ago when he died, but he took all my sin, past, present, and future, died for it, and made me blameless. I still sin. I still blow it. I still walk by my flesh on occasion. I'm, I may even get criticized publicly. I, 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 I might even fail morally, publicly, and be removed from this seat. Might. Could happen. But I'm still blameless. Still blameless. And I'm around a group of people that are going to see me that way. And that's what I'm thankful for. But at this point, I, I try to protect myself from criticism from the public. I try to conduct myself in a way where I don't receive criticism from the public. And then it gets to that one, the husband of one wife. Oh my gosh, my, thank you, Paul, for doing this. At the time, at the time, there was a lot of polygamy going on that had multiple wives. It could be in reference to that. If you go uh, to theologians, you're going to have a difference of opinion on what this means. The husband of one wife. He could be referring to multiple wives. He could be talking about being divorced and be being remarried. But if that was the case, he could have also used the term divorced. Divorce is all the way back in the Old Covenant, all the way back to Moses. I mean, I'll just say this. Scripture says God hates divorce. Yes, he hates divorce. But what we almost refer to divorce as is like signing a certificate of divorce, which is also biblical as well. But the certificate of divorce is not what God hates. He hates all the things that lead up to divorce. The relationship that's broken. The family that's hurt. I come from a family, a divorced family. My parents were divorced when I was less than a year old. I understand the hurt of what divorce brings into a family. I get it. It is better to see Paul 
having demanded that the church leader be faithful to his one wife. When I read that, that's what I see. It's not about divorce. It's just about, I have one wife that I'm faithful to. He says, be self-controlled, be vigilant. Keep your head in all situations. In other words, have sensible judgment in all things. Be cool and collectible when it hits the fan. He says, be prudent and sober. Serious, this is like being serious attitude. Some people say that I'm too serious. uh, But I also have to uh, come across that way for people to listen to me, you know? To be trustworthy and to be sensible, to be balanced in judgment. Yeah. It, if I'm lighthearted all the time, it just kind of cheapens the gospel message with this foolish behavior and people won't listen to it. Be respectable, he says. Now, now, now I get it, this is a whole list that we're going through of 15 things that Paul's describing, but understand if you're walking by the Spirit, these things are natural. They're very natural. He's not saying go out and try to behave this way because if you go out and try to behave this way, then you're basically trying to follow the law again, which doesn't work. So I'm literally following the Spirit inside of me, and if I follow the Spirit inside of me, this is the result of it. It's respectable. There's this dignity that is demanded and this orderlessness. um, There's order in this business. There you go. And I have uh, order in my outward life. Not just inside. The reflection is obviously, the outward is a reflection of my inward stability, but it's respectable, hospitable. It, it was necessary at that time as Christians traveled and they spread the gospel message. Let people into your house. Let them feed them, take care of them, nurture them. The task of just even caring for missionaries. To be an able teacher. Uh, you know, Big John will never come up here and, and teach like this. I say never, but but he's one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. He's taught me a lot. Very skillful man. One who can teach others also needs this willingness just to accept teaching. I, When I first started in ministry, I never wanted to teach. I just wanted to be the organizer, the you know, the youth minister that uh, led the games and camps and things like that, but I never wanted to teach. And uh, it wasn't until around 2000, 2001 that all of a sudden I wanted to teach. You know why? Because I understood I had something to teach. Once I came to understand my identity in Christ, it was like, oh, this is a whole new ball game. Let me, let me teach. Let me teach. I think I've shared this before, but my pastor came like 
five minutes before the service was supposed to start, and he's like, to me and my associate pastor, hey, I, I can't teach this next hour. We're like looking at each other like, we got five minutes for prayer service. We both went back to our offices, came back to notes. I looked at his notes and my notes. I'm like, I'm going. <laughs> I, I have something to teach. I have something to teach. I, I have something to say. He also says, not addicted to wine. The word describes a person who sits long with the cup and thus drinks to excess. Yeah, it's obviously I just sat here and said I sat at the chef's table, drink wine. I drink occasionally, but it's I, I typically don't drink in front of, because I have friends out here that struggle with alcohol, and I won't do that. I have to know what my audience is. I won't. Better for me not to partake. Don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with drunkenness, just going out to to get drunk. Uh, it, 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 here, here's the crazy thing: is it's sad to say some of the members of the, the Corinthian church, they were getting together for uh, the, the to honor the Lord with the the supper and everything, and they were getting drunk at that supper. You know, and Paul literally is like, you can't do this. We've had Vince here, uh, Levener at Pinheads and people getting drunk. And you're like, literally, you just got to say to him, hey, you, you, you can't get drunk here at a Levener event. <laughs> We're not going to, like, stop having these events because you're drinking, but uh, it's just not cool. It's not appropriate. He says, not, don't be a bully, but be gentle. Uh, and he's referring to a physical display here. And I mean, I'm not talking about punching somebody, but gentle in reference to how compassionate you are in the way that you communicate. He's like, not quarrelsome. Have, have this peaceful attitude. And that, that peaceful attitude was important to combat the false teaching. To be able to have a false teacher to be able to sit at your table and to be able to talk to them without arguing my opinion, my interpretation, everything, but to be able to like sit here and just have a discussion. To be not greedy. It's possible uh, to use the ministry as an easy way to, to make money if a man has no conscience of integrity. It would be easy. You see it all the time. You see it all the time. He says, having children under control with all dignity. Hmm. Hmm. The, the verb to manage, it carries the idea of like governing, leading, giving direction to the family. I'm going to tell you this. My kids are 29 and be 24 at the end of the month. And I cannot make their decisions for them. Parents, listen to me. You are not responsible for your kids' decisions. I am not responsible for my kids' decisions. They're going to make bad choices. I still make bad choices. But uh, how I manage that, how I manage that, is watched by you. And I watch you. Manage your kids. It's a public thing. 
It, it basically is like take care of, take care of. I mean, these these kids are coming at us, grandkids, kids are coming at us with some tough, tough stuff. How, how do you love them in the midst of their tough decisions? I'm always going to give them truth. I'm always going to give them truth. And I'm always going to love them. I'm always going to love them. He says, uh, manage the church. <laughs> A pastor will manage the church literally as he does his own family, which hopefully is being dependent on the Spirit to lead. If this is me leading this thing, mm, you're in trouble. He says, not not a new convert. It would be important to select leaders with just an, enough maturity to avoid uh, the pitfalls of pride. You, a bunch of you saw the Jesus Revolution, and um, there's it Lonnie, the, the hippie guy that, man, as soon as he got a little power and a little control, it just kind of, and that's what he's talking about. You can, all of a sudden, this conceit that comes forth the pride becomes a prominent position. So you need to have some maturity uh, there. And a good reputation. It's basically just a good witness out in public. Uh, Whenever a a leader's name is mentioned and there's a flare-up of things that follow it, that's probably not a good reputation. But to be publicly spoken about is having a good reputation. And then he, he jumps in, I know I'm a little over, but he jumps in to the, the deacons. So he's talked about elders and overseers. And deacons, the translation of that word, diaconus, is basically means that it's a servant. Someone who does service. You go back more into Acts chapter 6 and see um, the records of deacons. And the first deacons were basically appointed to be assistants to the apostles to just go alongside them in their ministry and to serve and in the local church today deacons come alongside the pastor and the staff and they take care of issues they 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 allow us to concentrate on the word and to doing ministry for people Deacons are important. It says, deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical. In other words, no gossiping. Not drinking a lot of wine. Don't get drunk. Not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Who's who's blameless? (laughs) You are. Because you believe in Jesus as your Savior. And then he goes, wives. Uh, let me let me say this about deacons. It's like, uh, I, I don't have any appointed deacons, although we call Luke the only deacon in here just because he needs to have that title for some reason. So. <laughs> Self-appointed deacon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is sad. S-A-D, self-appointed deacon. I like that. Uh, there's there's so many deacons in this room, people that serve. My music team, my setup team, my 
kids team that are watching the kids back there just and, and that that's just on Sunday mornings. There's so much more that happens in here. So although we don't designate appoint deacons, it, we have deacons that check on families, that just love on families, that'll show up at hospitals so I don't have to. That's what deacons do. They just Al, you you're like one of the you check on he knows more about these people than I do. I mean we are a, a blessed group. He says this. He goes to wives, verse 11. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slander, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's obviously the same description that he's given the overseers and the elders. It's respectable people that love Jesus and are and are able to view things rather from their own opinion, but from the wisdom that comes from God and their faith. This is the this is the whole the whole thing right here. The men and women that we go to because they have the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is being able to see this world from God's perspective, from God's point of view. Not my own personal point of view, not the world's point of view, but God's point of view. That's wisdom. And that is who is represented by all these things that he's just listed. And then the last few verses is this. This is beautiful. He, remember, he's writing Timothy to encourage Timothy, don't give up, don't give up. This is what it looks like. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I've written so that you will know how people ought, ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. This is the church of the living God. I tell you all the time, you have a living God inside of you walking with you, breathing for you, convicting you, convicting you. And when I say conviction, most of the time people go, oh, he's convicting of us our sin. No, he's convicting you of your righteousness. He's telling you that, hey, I made you holy. I made you righteous. I purified you. I made you blameless. I've forgiven you. He's totally convicting me of all the goodness that he's done for me. He doesn't condemn me. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, he says, in the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. This is the truth. This is it. God is our truth. Not my opinion. Not the world's opinion. Doesn't matter what everybody else says. It's what God says. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. He is manifested in the flesh. That would be Jesus vindicated in the spirit. In other words, Jesus was empowered as he walked here on earth. And he's seen by angels. Those are the messengers and they've watched and literally they're watching us today. The angels are watching us today and they're learning from us today. Preached among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. That's the good news right there. That's the good news. It's Jesus 
being taught around the world, to be able to sit at the chef's table and talk about Jesus is all I really care about. That's all I care about. Uh, my conversation, yeah, I can talk. I can talk football. I can talk baseball. I, I can do all that stuff. But to be able to sit there and to have a conversation about Jesus, this is all Paul's saying to Timothy. Make, make, make it about Jesus. Make it about God. Make it about Jesus. Not about what the world wants because whew, you can see what the world wants. Watch it tonight. Whew. So, Lord, I, I, I trust your word, and I am so thankful for the men and women in this room that I trust with wisdom, your wisdom, with your giftedness, your skill, your love, your passion for not only you, but for each other, that you have brought us together as a family. May we be the light to the world. May we truly go out here and not focus on our conduct and our behavior, but focus on you, and it just naturally happens. I trust your word, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.